You're listening to Autumn on the Air, the weekly podcast that brings you conversations about the impact of research commercialization and the people who make it happen. Join us for interviews with patent and licensing professionals, innovators, entrepreneurs, and tech transfer leaders on the issues and trends that matter most. Keep listening for an inside track on the people, IP policies, and politics changing our world. Welcome to Autumn on the Air. In today's episode, we delve into a critical issue that's been at the forefront of discussion in recent years, the gender gap in patenting. I'm excited to be joined by three guests from the World Intellectual Property Organization, Inton Hamden Lovermento, Elodie Carpentier, and Julio Raffo. Inton is an economist with more than 10 years of experience working on issues of economics of innovation and international trade. She's a member of the European Policy on Intellectual Property Group, which meets yearly to exchange ideas on intellectual property systems and intangible assets to promote innovation, productivity, and growth. Elodie is a postdoc research fellow at WIPO, conducting groundbreaking research on diversity gaps and innovation, focusing on gender gaps and patenting. Her work also encompasses other forms of intellectual property, including trademarks and designs. Julio is the head of the Innovation Economy section at WIPO and brings his expertise in economics and metrics of innovation and intellectual property to shed light on this pressing issue. Welcome, Inton, Elodie, and Julio. I'm so excited to have you here on the air. Thanks. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Well, thank you all so much for joining me today. And I'm really excited to be talking to you about the report published by WIPO in April of this year entitled The Global Gender Gap in Innovation and Creativity. So let's go ahead and get into it because there's quite a bit in that report. So Inton, I wanted to start off by asking you, I know WIPO's work and research on the gender gap in patenting has been going on for quite some time. In fact, I understand that WIPO published its first report on the gender gap in patenting in 2016. So it's been seven years since that first report. Why was the time right now for this new report? Well, thanks, Lisa. Thanks for the question. Let me ask you back. Why not now? Right. Several things actually uh, factor into why only now we're coming out with the update to our 2016 paper. Um, and in fact, the 2016 paper was um, a culmination of work that was done by our first gender specialist, WIPO's first gender specialist, Kaori Saito, with Julio Raffo. Um, and we've been looking at this topic for a while, but when Kaori came on, she was the one who said, let's let's really look at it. Let's put aside some budget for this. So we, we looked into that. And so then we came out with the paper, the 2016 paper, which um, had this very important and relevant tool, which is the World Gender Name Dictionary. Now, the World Gender Name Dictionary relies on a given set of names and associates them with their most commonly, uh, their common gender, right? Um, and, and this tool was later picked up by the USPTO, the UK IPO, the Canadian IP office, and so on and so forth to actually run their own research on understanding the gender gap in patenting. So that was going on externally where people were picking up, they were, they were listening in, they were saying this is an important topic. And then by 2020, we were approached by the Innovation Council and also Qualcomm, who then mentioned to us, listen, this research topic is very important. 
why are you not doing more? And so when they approached us, we said, well, we really want to look at it. We're just a little bit constrained. And that's where they came in and they helped out together with Invent Together. They helped actually fund our first uh, gender research fellow, Elodie Carpentier here. And with Elodie, now things are just going full speed ahead. Uh, and that, so therefore, we now have the, the latest update to the 2016 paper. Yeah, and I know Elodie has been doing a lot of work looking at various pieces of data and, and then doing a lot of analysis. And and I think that's a really great segue, Elodie. I wanted to ask you, you know, one of the things when I read the report was I was really impressed by just the different sources of data that you looked at and the methodology to analyze the data. So before we get into the specifics of the report, can you talk a little bit about the data sources and the methodology that was used in your analysis? Yeah, sure. Um, that's uh, that's the nerdy part. So I'm very <laughs> much on top of that. Um, so basically, what we used is our own data, the PCT Patent Cooperation Treaty database, which is patents that are in international phase. And the database per se is already quite impressive. We have uh, 3.6 million um, patent applications that were coming from inventors in uh, almost 200 different countries and territories. And we went back to 1999 until 2020. That was the last year we had complete data. But one thing that is very important is that on those patent applications, we had a lot of information about the invention itself, about the different technologies that were covered. And we know who are the inventors, but we don't know their gender. So we started using, um, so there are strategies by which um, you can find out the gender of inventors. The one we used is the dictionary that Intan just mentioned. So what we did is we um, retrieved the full names of the more than 10 million inventors, and we managed to split between given names and last names. And then using the given names and the location, we matched it with the dictionary. And this way, we managed to retrieve about 96% of the names. So that's quite a, quite a very good uh, result. But the problem we had is that the names from China or from the Republic of Korea, when they are Romanized, we lose information about the gender. So it becomes more and more ambiguous. So we found a strategy, and that's why we have a different database that we uh, tapped in. That's the Patent Scope database. It has not only the international phase application, but also the national one. And the national phase, they have the name of inventors in their original characters, which we didn't have. So we retrieved this data and using the uh, the original character, then we could you know, be more confident about uh, the gender we assigned to Korean and uh, Chinese names. So the final data set, was almost 3 million patent. We had about 80% of the initial data set. We lost some because of gender uncertainty and other because we removed the patent when there was at least one inventor for which we were not sure of the gender. And out of these 7.6 million inventors, 12% were women and 88% were men. And then we wondered how should we measure women's contribution in this patenting. So we had two ways of going about that. Either we could count documents or we could count people. So 
each approach, each metric you use has pros and cons. Um, if we can document, we could count how many documents include at least one woman, which is quite easy to compute. Um, it's also easily comparable to other patent level metrics. But the problem is that if women are, let's say, a minority among uh, inventor teams, then we're going to overestimate their contribution. So we came with another alternative. We could count the fractional share of patent that women uh, produced based on their representation in the team. So out of 10 inventors, you have one woman, you assign a tenth of a patent to women. And you sum all these shares and then you get some sense of how much women produced. It is a great uh, fix, let's say. The only issue is that we are assuming that people are contributed in representation of how many there are. So it's not because you are two people that you're doing 550% of the work. So then we move to the people approach. And then the people approach is actually the big favorite of policymakers because you know it allows you to set a, let's say a realistic target. Then we count people and we count how many women you have among all inventors in the unit of analysis, the country, the company, whatever. You don't need to make any assumption about how much they contribute in the team. And you can say, okay, let's aim for 50% of inventor being women. You don't need to check whether the team is all women, women with men, and so on and so forth. The only issue is that ideally you should be disambiguating, disambiguating people. So you should know who's who, which is feasible when you have small data sample which becomes much more of a problem when you have like millions of people around and, and no more data. But that's a lot of fun. Um, and we can say a lot using this data. So as you saw in the report. Yeah, I mean, it was a tremendous effort. And I'm just curious, Elodie, um, approximately how long did this kind of data collection and analysis take you? Because it was a lot. It seemed to me to be a lot of work based on what I read in the report. Yeah, I would say months for sure. Um, something like six months, probably. And then the analysis took another couple of months. So, but yeah, the data work is, uh, and that was kind of, a, let's say, quite clean database. There are other less clean database that could take even longer than that. But uh, yeah, let's say four to six months. Well, thank you for sharing that because it was a tremendous effort that went into it. And it really led to a lot of really interesting findings that we're going to start to talk about now. And let me turn to Julio to ask him um, about some of those findings. And I thought maybe we'd start off very high level. Um, so Julio, after looking at the data from two decades of patent filings in all of the countries in the world, um, the report mentions that you found 23% of the patents included at least one woman as a listed inventor, while 96% of the patents included at least one man as an inventor. Uh, additionally, it, the report also says that you found that only 4% of international patents were invented exclusively by women, either as a single inventor or part of a team of women inventors. So, in terms of innovation, women generated one in 10 patents, which leaves men producing the other nine. Let me ask you, were you surprised by these results? Well, um, surprise, unfortunately not. I but, didn't think uh, so. Yeah, uh, disappointed, certainly, yes. Um, but 
So there are a couple of things about this. One is uh, the first thought for all of us is that we can certainly do better. I think that's that's what motivates these kinds of studies and motivates the policies and motivates even this podcast, I guess. We want, everybody wants to do better on this. The, um, the second point I would like to make, and, and we're going to probably dive deeper, is that this indicates also where we need to look, right? We, we have, and LOD was just mentioning, the different metrics, and you can see that there is a difference of the metrics when you're counting people or, or the closest we can get to people with listed inventors, and we're counting um, people participating in a group, right, in, of a patent. And of course, when... When you look at that, you can already see some of the interesting aspects. Is um, women participate more uh, through groups, and we're going to discuss this in a second, I guess. But also, um, it's very important to understand why certain very talented and, and ingenious women are not appearing in the in the patents. Right? There's a whole pipeline there that we know. We know that. Uh, women, uh, well, girls in, in, in primary and secondary school, but then women are graduating from universities and more and more from STEM kind of, of fields. And yet we are not observing those cohorts appearing in the patents. Uh, I always feel compelled to say there is a positive trend, right? We are observing the data is improving slowly every year. Uh, our predictions are getting better every year, um, but clearly we need to do more. Yeah, absolutely. And that was one of the big takeaways from the report. And um, Elodie, I want to turn back to you and and ask you, do you have some thoughts on what's causing the gap between the rate of women inventors and women's share patents? That's actually something we were thinking about from the start. And I remember Julio being all the time coming back with that. And for some reason, there was so many things to do that I didn't finish doing it. But I still think there is like a very interesting insight behind that. And the reason is, if you're counting the percentage of women inventor, you're counting people, right, among the group. And if you're, if you're counting the share, then you're assigning smaller share when women are uh, just one among men. So it's, I think it's strongly related to women's lower propensity to work in, in alone compared to men. So they don't get like assignment of the full patent to themselves. They get just a tiny share of the patent out of all male co-author with whom they're working. So that's, that's just a pattern that we see very consistent across everything, across every region, across countries. Women just don't, let, don't work alone as much as men do. Many, many men are solo inventors. So we're still on to that. We still want to do more research and, and understand better why women are not working in teams um, and if there is any other reason behind this gap that we observe. But that's that's our sense so far. Yeah, that was really, really interesting. And there were just so many interesting findings in that report. And, and Julia, I want to turn and ask you um, about another one of them. Um, you looked at gender gap across regions, sectors, and industries, and one of the findings I found particularly fascinating was that in Latin America and the Caribbean, they experienced an increase in women inventors over time from 16% in 2001 to 2005 to 21% between 2016 and 2020. Any thoughts on what contributed to that increase? Well, um we don't know one exact answer. Clearly, it's, it's probably a, a multi-factor answer. Um, 
we have been noticing in our research that Latin America and, and the Caribbean regions, of course, is very close to my heart. Um, they do very well, in, 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 at least in comparison to other regions in terms of women participation. Uh, we have to say also that it's not a region that produces a lot of patents. So they do well, but we are not talking about a big volume. Um, among the factors that we are, of course, further researching, and we don't have any conclusions, but there's clear some patterns that seems to help the region to do well. One is the specialization. The, there is a, um, um, you know, a tendency of, 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 this, uh, of this region to focus more on life science kind of technologies, which typically they have more participation of women. And similar to what we were just discussing, also typically you have larger groups of inventors. So all two factors that may help women uh, participate. The Probably the most important one that we have observed and, and yet to be to be confirmed by, by further research is also what we call the sector. We, we can distinguish by, by the applicants to which main sector um, a patent uh, can, can be attributed, a technology can be attributed. And we distinguish it principally private sector from academic sector or individual applicants. Usually individual applicants, they behave pretty much as the, as the private sector. They, they be probably closer to SMEs or, or, or micro enterprises. Um, but the academic sector that, you know, it, it's, it bundles together, not only universities, but also research centers, some of them, you know, government funded research centers uh, that, that you may have around the, the region. Um, and in all the world, usually uh, public research organizations and, 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 and universities, they fare better than the private sector. That's also a very strong pattern. And you may know that if you look at R&D expenses uh, by, by sector of execution, you will see that Latin America and, and many other states in the world, but particularly Latin America, there is a, a very different shape than you will observe, for instance, in comparison to the United States. You will observe that the private sector only executes like 20% of the, of the R&D uh, of a given year, while the public sector, represented by universities and academia more broadly, is about 80%. So... Because of that, the patterns, they follow exactly the same logic, and this is one of the main contributors of, of that participation. Um, however, the, the growth that you mentioned is, is very interesting, and it was a region that was growing quite fast. However, if you look to, to our report, you will observe also that the last five years, the region has slowed down. And actually, Asia and, and North America are both actually growing faster. So they're doing worse than Latin America and the Caribbean. But if you look at the last five years, they they're doing better in terms of, of the trend. So it's I think Latin America did very well in the in the twenty year period, but they have been doing less well in the last five years. And this is a call for attention for policymakers in the region. Why are we slowing down in, in those last five years? So, Julio, you mentioned Asia, and I want to turn to Intan and ask about Asia because uh, the report noted that some of the fastest growth was seen in Asia, which went from the world's lowest rate of women inventors from the period of 2001 to 2005 of 7.5% to the second highest rate between the period of 2016-2020 of 16%. So my first question, Intan, for you is any thoughts about what brought about this rapid growth? And then secondly, another interesting finding in the report was improvement in Japan in terms of increasing its WIR and closing the gender gap in patenting. So second question, do you know what Japan's done in terms of implementing any new policies and procedures to account for this improvement? That's a very good question, Anissa. So um, 
At the Asia level, let me just say, we would like to dig deeper into this. We like to investigate further. In fact, that's our next research question that we, we hope to be able to, to answer in the coming months, depending on, on uh, LOD, of course. <laughs> um, but here's what we know. Um, we co-organize this online seminar series on the IP gender diversity gaps across regions. And we do this with Invent Together. And one of the major insights that we got when we did the, the seminar in the Asia-Pacific region is, other, uh, is the policies that Japan is implementing in order to increase and, and retain their women scientists, right? So, for example, um, Japan has established uh, organizations to award prizes to researchers to promote them. You have the Marie Curie Award for early researchers, career, early career researchers in science and technology. And then you have, for example, University of Tokyo implementing a plan for gender equality with a five-year target. So having this insights based on talking to policymakers, based on talking to researchers, is really influencing the research work we do and in fact um, influencing how, how we look at the question of how do we address this gender gap and also you know, the specific regional insights that we would not have gotten if we were just to look at the numbers. So Having you know, having us look at the numbers and then complementing them with this insights, I think is such a valuable experience for us in that we are learning so much more about what's happening in the different regions. And hopefully, you know, by the time this the the report comes out, we will be able to actually determine or identify specific policies, specific targeted actions that are making a difference. And one of the things is that we also are considering on doing a case study just on Japan because of this this growth. So yeah, so I say stay tuned. We possibly have some answers. In yeah, the near absolutely. Future. I, I right. think we should put Elodie on that case uh, study of Japan as soon as possible, because <laughs> it sounds like they're really doing some amazing things that could benefit. You know, I'm even thinking like the U.S., where the USPTO has put out a report that, you know, our women inventor rate and the number of women on patents is is really not not good as well. And um, not to give you more work, Elodie, but um, uh, <laughs> I want to turn to you and ask about a really another interesting finding in the report, which was women inventor rate was found to be the highest in Spain, Colombia, Brazil, Chile, Mexico and Egypt, which I found absolutely fascinating. Um, because it was a very interesting and diverse group of countries. So do you have any thoughts as to why the women inventor rate was so high in these countries? So regarding the, um, the Latin American countries, we bounce back to what Julio was mentioning before. We get some signs from, from their industrial specialization, from the strengths of the academic sector. And, but this is, this is a very, Row ranking, so we're just just using the metric, the the woman inventor rate, and we're ranking countries. So we wondered what would happen if we take off the effect of the industrial specialization, for instance. So that's where we 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 came with this inclusivity index, which is just basic, basically normalizing the, the industrial specialization of countries and then ranking them again. And what we're seeing is that, for instance. What we were seeing is that Germany was towards the bottom of the ranking, and it's just the 31 top patenting country in the world. It's not all countries in the world. So, but they have a very strong mechanical industry, and then they show up toward the end. 
And then we have Scandinavian countries, which we know are um, famous for being uh, of offering better opportunity to women in society more generally. And they happen to have, a, for instance, a strong electrical engineering industry. So we thought industry is the thing we should look at. So when we repeat the ranking controlling for um, the industrial specialization, what we see is that some countries are moving places, they are moving ranks, but not enough to switch side, not enough to be below the, the world's average when they were above and vice versa. So our conclusion was that we feel that the industrial specialization is something huge. Maybe it's not the main driver of the gender gap. There is something else. There are many other things. So we're pursuing the research um, and we're really trying to seize the importance of each of those factors in explaining the gender gap. That's our next, probably our next research paper forthcoming. Um, and we're trying to see how much, for instance, the size of team matters how much um, the industrial specialization matters, how much the academic contribution to innovation matters, and probably other uh, other factors to come. I think, Elodie, we need to clone you a couple of times. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that would be lovely. <laughs> Do you have a twin or, or something that we can... <laughs> I'm sure if we search well, we will find I, it. Yeah, because I was going to say there's so many interesting aspects to this report. It's great to hear that you're going to be following up on a lot of them, but it, it's going to take some time, obviously. So, um, And I, I want to go back to something you mentioned about the Scandinavian countries. And, and Julio, I'll jump and ask you this, you know, um, I found it particularly surprising that when we were talking about the Scandinavian countries, countries like Denmark, Norway, Sweden, and Finland, that the number of women listed inventors and the as inventors and the women inventor rate was lower than I thought it would be. Um, and as Elodie mentioned, especially given the fact that these countries are well known to provide more and equal opportunities for women. So do you have any theories on why the number of women listed as inventors in these countries was so much lower than I think, you know, people expected? Well, I think it's, it's a very interesting question, and that is related to what was just mentioned. And, and we observe not only in our research team, but we observe that also happening in, in, in many colleagues in our network. We certainly know that the team from the USPTO economies are starting to look at things like this. We know that um, Fiona Murray and Mercedes Delgado, they have also been interested. So there is this idea that there are several factors affecting what's going on. So the, the relation between uh, women participation, at least in patents, but I would say IP more broadly, uh, it's not linear with what you would expect from, from a country, from, from the development of a country, or even if you want the, the social inclusivity of a country, right? Because those Nordic countries that you mentioned, usually have a, a quite good social system that you would expect them to, to, to participate more, let women participate more. So we know this ratio is not linear. And, and, and the dimensions that we are trying to look at, all of us, uh, the, the main ones are started to, to be more clear at this point and 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 we know what to do but we need to do a lot of research and thankfully you know we are inspiring all of us are inspiring other researchers including those i just mentioned that also have inspired us and we hopefully are inspiring them but you know just not to let you hang in i also will will expect and that bounce back to latin america that there is something related also with the pay right what 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 kind of flexibility and what kind of pay uh, a certain activity can give to to women uh, or to a household more broadly. And, and there's something that is somehow appearing there. And I think 
that in countries where you observe less equal pay and you have less uh, actual um, social inclusion kind of mechanisms like we expect, that might play against uh, participation in in science, I would say, but certainly on, on invention. Um, but we don't have yet the research that fully back up this. So this is an hypothesis that we're liking to look. And maybe, maybe maybe some of the people listening to the podcast have better ideas. We would love to hear in the comments. Um, but but you know we think there is something happening around that. So Julio, I want to go back and ask you about something that was mentioned a little bit earlier in the podcast, and that's the fact that the report discusses that women take part in inventive teams in different ways than men. Can you talk a little bit about this and what your findings showed? Um, yes. Yeah. As we were discussing before, we we would like to, to understand parity with the 50% uh, target. And this is when we look at listed inventors. But what we have noticed is that a lot of the improvement of what's happening on, on, on women participation is actually due to the dynamics of groups. Uh, and, and that's exactly what we are researching right now. We have some some interesting further research than, than the report. But the, the main point here to understand is the following. The innovation in general and patents or science in particular is becoming more and more complex. So because it's more complex, we need larger teams participating and also uh, more multidisciplinary teams, um, which probably for good reasons, but also in some in some cases, you can think it's, it's just uh, probabilistic, increases the likelihood of observing a woman, right? If, if your team has only two persons, maybe you will not observe a woman there. If increased to 10, you, you, you will most likely observe a woman participating. Depends on the country, depends on many things as well. So this is an interesting finding in two ways. One is, okay, maybe a lot of the, the, the good hope I was mentioning earlier in this podcast is to be taken with a, a grain of salt, right? It, it's it's might be just these dynamics, but the second point I think is very important for policymakers or managers around the world uh, that clearly one point to intervene on the gender is is to understand the dynamics of groups, understands how groups are formed of researchers, of of, of inventors, also who is the gatekeeper of those, of those teams and, and who can exert mentoring. And, and we know a little bit of this, that many initiatives uh, in, in many countries have to do with mentoring, right? They, they, they have these mentorship programs, but uh, we don't know how effective they are. We need to be also sincere there. We know they exist, but we don't know how effective they are. But, but certainly groups is a very big dimension of the thing. And yes, if you look at our results, Results are a bit discouraging, right? Most most of, of teams of inventors are either composed by, by one uh, man or a group of men only. And even in the cases where there's women, it's mostly men. So that is very worrying as a, as a result. One interesting result that we have in the report, well hidden in the report, is that we do not observe a lot of growth on one woman inventor only, with the exception of Asia. Right. Asia does particularly well on this, and this is we don't know why. This is something we need to understand as well. But it's the only region where there is a, a big growth of, of women-only uh, groups. This is this is something to understand. Maybe it has to do with entrepreneurship. I don't know. We, we we need to further research. But there is also something there that that relates to groups. How can uh, how is it that men only can patent, but women only, they find very hard to, to find their way. And we know there are some great initiatives. The USPTO has done uh, a, a very interesting analysis uh, 
on, on, on providing an, an inventor assistance program and, and targeting women. And the results were very, very interesting because they noticed that, yes, there was a big effect of helping these women to participate. So it shows that, you know, policy matters in these cases. Absolutely. And I'm familiar with that program and it's a really, really great program. And it's going to be interesting to see more as the USPTO releases more data on it. And, you know, Julio, sticking with you for a second, I, I want to turn to something outside the report and, and talk about, um, you know, World Intellectual Property Day. And uh, that was on April 26th. And WIPO released some interesting data on that day related to women designers. And the data showed that only around one in five designers behind the look and feel of products were women. And even though the this figure had doubled since 2021, um, it shows that parity with men in this space isn't going to be expected until 2099 based on current rates. Um, so now we see a gender gap in two different types of IP rights. Can you tell us some more about these findings and why there's an urgent need for increased participation by women in innovation and creativity? Well, similar to, to your first question, to me, um, again, right, we, we, we are not fully surprised with these results, but we're a bit disappointed. And actually, in this case, we are a bit more than, than a bit disappointed because given that industrial designs is, is considered more creative, further from engineering, we were expecting better results. Uh, these are still preliminary results. We are looking at it. We are, we are very happy with this research. This is part of the very good work that LOD is putting. And we are also trying to move to other forms of IP and, and a report will follow. But it seems at this point quite clear that um, the participation of women is, is higher than for patents, but not as much as we expected. Right? We, we, we discover, however, two interesting facts that you signal to one of them. One is that at the beginning of the analysis, the share was similar between designers in, in, in our, let's say, global database, which is not a perfect coverage of the world, but it's the best you can get. Uh, and, and we were talking about 10%. One out of 10 designers was a woman and one out of 10 uh, inventors was a woman. In those 20 years, designers did better, right? So one out of uh, five is, is a woman for designers, while one out of six is a woman for um, inventors, roughly speaking. However, what is worrying us a little bit is that we reached that point like 10 years ago, the one out of five. And since then, it's just kind of flatlined, right? It's, it's, it's a severe slowdown. So we're even thinking because the 20% barrier is something that we're observing in many, many indicators that we're doing. And we, we don't have, we observe a pattern. We're not saying there is a rule there, but we wonder if there's some kind of glass ceiling that, that you know, that because it's always around 20%. It's very hard to break that 20%. Of course, if you go to a certain fields, if you go to certain countries, we can break that. But in the general trends, we are never far from that 20%, which is very far from parity. Very, very far from parity. And um, Inton, let me ask you, I want to go back to talking about women in STEM. And the report found that women inventors tended to concentrate in specific industries with little change over time. And that nearly 30% of the women inventors were in biotech, food chemistry, and pharmaceuticals, and less than 10% were in electrical and mechanical engineering. So what do you think can be done to encourage more women to go into engineering? Well, um, I think there are two things that we need to untangle a little bit here. The first is the need to encourage women into STEM fields. And then the need to make sure that, that once they're in those fields, that they stay. 
right? So, so that that's, those are two very important things that we need to address each on its own. So when we look at encouraging uh, women into STEM field, this is one part of the equation. Uh, we know that, for example, in some Asian, um, African, Arab countries, right, the share of women graduates in STEM is almost close to parity. So there is like a move of women into these STEM fields. Um, and in fact, in some Asian and Arab countries, they, they account for the majority. So the numbers that we see is actually quite encouraging. But disappointingly, when we look at the patenting figures, right? And so the numbers that you talk about, like the 30% of women inventors in biotechnology and so, so forth, you know, what's happening, right? So when we look at the career progression of, in, of scientists, over, you know, when they start from university and so on. So the UK IPO actually in their 2018 study, they actually looked at it. They looked at the gender profiles um, in worldwide patenting. They looked at the share of um, graduates um, at, at the undergrad, at the bachelor's, graduate and doctor degree. And then they tracked. And in fact, what they found was that um, in the UK from bachelor's to graduate degrees, women accounted for the majority of the, po of the scientist population. But this picture flips as the career of the scientists progress, right? So by, um, by looking at patent applications, which is, let's say, a noisy proxy for what is happening when you are in the business, the applied engineering part, the number of women um, scientists drops significantly. So 90% of patent applications are held by men. So you do actually see this leaky pipeline story uh, boring out in numbers, right? So the challenge is two parts. One is, yes, let's increase more women into STEM. But at the same time, you know, the second part is let's try to keep them in these fields. And, and for this, I'd, I'd like to return to your question that you actually asked, Julio, which is what is the importance of encouraging uh, or um, increasing the participation of women. Uh, and here I say, you know, it's the opportunity cost. It's the opportunity cost of missed innovation, creativity that happened to come from women. So one part is like you're missing this huge part of potential innovation that can significantly improve our standards of living. And part of it could be because the women who should be inventing, who could be inventing, are not doing so maybe because of some barriers, either societal, either career, or so on and so forth. And if we can address that, shouldn't we, from a society's perspective? Absolutely. And so it, what you're saying is we've got to figure out what's causing those leaks in the pipeline, and we've got to shore those up and get those fixed. Exactly. Yeah. So Julio, as the podcast comes to a close, I wanted to ask you, um, one of the takeaways from the report is that while there are some encouraging trends in women's participation in patenting, the gender parity in patenting is not going to be achieved till around the year 2061. So another 38 long years. So it's apparent that more work needs to be done to ensure equal opportunities for women around the world. What actions or policy suggestions do you have for countries that are looking to help stimulate gender diversity and patenting and create more gender balanced teams? Well, this is, of course, the, the one million dollar question, I guess. Uh, I don't know if I have all the answers, but let me tell you, well, first of all, that, that forecast that, that we provide in the report is, is, is a very simple one, right? It's a naive one. And we say that everything is kept as, as the last five years. This is what's going to happen. For instance, we still don't know the effect of the pandemics on this, 
right? It might be even worse the situation actually than than that. I just would like to to put a disclaimer or that note for all of us to be very conscious about about it. Um, and of course, I, I I told you at the beginning of this podcast that we that we have been observing at least before the pandemics that this figure was improving over time. Right. And that was the good news. Not dramatically, but it is improving. When we did the first calculation, I think it was something like 2070 something or 80 something when we did the first study in 2016. So so the good news is that we observed a slow but you know consistent movement of the world, not not everywhere, of, of improving this. And when we look at, at what's happening on each sector, right, in each technological field, we also observe an, an improvement. So that's the good news, and it seems that some something that we are doing is working, but clearly not fast enough. That, that's that, that's the bottom line of it. And we have been in, in a series of, of webinars uh, trying to engage with policymakers and, and other stakeholders of what are the initiatives that they have been doing, and we are trying to document this. Uh, it is, of course, not, not a, a perfect job. Because ideally, what we like to do is, is what the USPTO and other agencies have done, is to have some kind of experiment where we can very clearly see the effect of, of a program. And, and, and that's what makes our life uh, of social scientists, I would say, broadly defined, very, very hard. Um, we know that there are many, many initiatives happening. That's, that's part of, of the solution. But which one is the most effective one or, or which ones of those are the most effective ones is, is very hard to tell. And, and that, unfortunately, I cannot pronounce myself. As I was saying before, we, we think that there is room for, I would say, sectoral approaches, right, industry approaches, because the problem doesn't seem to be the same in a sector. There is certainly room for discussing group dynamics of people how people interact, and those things should be effective. And then we need to look to some of those very successful countries, right? Japan did fantastically in the last years. Asia is doing also very good. But also, if 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 you look at our stats, North America also came a long way, right? In particular, the United States. So they, they were not the, the poster childs in, in our early studies, and now they're doing better. So clearly, there's something that's working. I think we can all agree that not fast enough. But uh, but I, I think these are the at least the the lead I will follow if I were a policymaker. Well, I think those were some great suggestions and we're all looking forward to your next report. And Inton, Elodie and Julio, thank you so much for your time today. And most importantly, for the very important work you're doing to try and move the needle on the gender gap in innovation and creativity. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa. Inton, Elodie, Julio. Thank you so much for shedding light on this important topic and for sharing your expertise with us today. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this episode of Autumn on the Air. Stay tuned for more thought-provoking conversations on innovation, technology transfer, and intellectual property. Until next time, keep innovating and promoting diversity in all its forms. Thanks for listening to Autumn on the Air with Lisa Mueller. Get social with us and share your thoughts. You can tweet us at AUTM or visit us online at AUTM.net. We'll be back next week on the air. Be sure to join us. New to tech transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for tech transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, 
corporate engagement, or startups. Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and align on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.